Hi folks and welcome to the Highland Bullpen second weekly update of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. Now for my hero of the week, I'll be totally honest, I am going to go for one of my Mariners and I know I might sound biased, but that's only because I am. Now the Mariners have defied expectations, they've really started the season in style despite facing numerous challenges and I think that's been down to their character and I can't think of too many people who've epitomised that kind of grit and character better than Kyle Seeger. I think the result a couple of nights ago now where the Mariners came back from 6-zip down, 6-0 down to eventually take a game against the Twins in Minnesota, 8-6, might really prove to set the tone for the Mariners this season and it was uh, Kyle Seeger's second home run of that particular contest uh, to drive in three runs at the ninth inning to give the Mariners the lead, which they'd hold on to 8-6. I think set the tone for the Mariners this season because they're not giving up. I mean, the first game of that series, they took a right shellacking off the Twins, but they, they came back, they won the second game narrowly, and they showed that kind of character again to take that three-game series against the Twins, a really hard place to go. So Kyle Seeger for me, for epitomising the early season grit of my Seattle Manners, is my hero of the week. What's actually happened in the last week, I've found, is a few of the other, what would be deemed perhaps squad-type players. You know, everybody focuses on, on what that starting lineup will be throughout the off-season. Um, and it really... It, it becomes really quite apparent very early in the season. This is a squad game. Um, and already the White Sox have had to use a, a whole lot of extra players. There's a lot of guys that don't get a lot of name time. So last night, Williams brought us home in the, in the ninth. And again, he's had to dip in the last the last couple of games. We've had a whole lot of different players in the outfield, opposed to your, your kind of starting lineup. However, on the flip side, my own uh, highlight of the week was seeing Lance Lynn pitching. You may gave me a wee bit of stick because it, it contributed to our downfall in the Fantasy League, but Lance Lynn pitched through all nine innings of a game. And I listened to a podcast where he was interviewed you know, before the season and he said that's his, you know, he, he won't be happy whenever the manager comes out to take the ball off him during the game. And again, for, for those who are you know, new to baseball, typically... A pitcher might get one visit from the pitching coach or the manager during the game. To me, it almost looks a bit like a pep talk type of thing. How are you doing? Are you okay? Let's focus on this. He might even get a visit from the catcher. But I think when it's when you're starting pitchers, time's up. The manager comes out and takes the ball off, off him. Um, and he said during off-season that he wouldn't be happy. Any game, yeah, that's that's just his absolute disappointment as, as if he can't see a game through. So it was fantastic seeing him uh, just go to that sort of level, put his body to those uh, extremes to really see out the game. Uh, and it was, you can see that it means a lot to the team, uh, his catcher for the day as well, um, that someone can, can go through that. Because I don't think it's as common in modern baseballs. It would be 20, 30, 40 years ago. Alan, who's caught your eye this week? Up until last night, they had lost six of their next seven games. So finding a uh, highlight out of that was going to be pretty tough. But true to form, Casey Mize stepped up. Rookie pitcher Casey did pitch 
last season. I think this is officially his rookie season. Seven scoreless innings last night against the Astros. And a lot of Tigers fans excited to see Casey Mize achieve that sort of success on, on the mound. It made me think a wee bit about the fact you have rookie pitchers. Obviously, you have to have rookie pitchers. But when you think of young players breaking into a football team, how difficult is it for a young goalkeeper to break in? Um, most goalkeepers probably have to bide their time, wait till they're a wee bit older, more experienced. An outfield player, you're one of ten. Yeah, you've got a key position, but you get caught out there. Rookie pitchers in baseball's a pretty daunting situation when you think about it. You are the main man. You are the young guy coming out there. Now, another man who's got a smile on his face at the moment is Yorkshire Dave, whose Boston Red Sox have defied the doom sales of which... Our very own Bill Penbro was probably one of them and have actually made an impressive start to the season. Dave, into any of the Red Sox guys who've made that happen make your hero list or are you looking elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, the, the great game of baseball has provided incredible amount of highlights and talking points, hasn't it, already just in, uh, you know, a week and a half. But I hope you will excuse me for choosing one of my own because uh, I'm by which I mean a Red Sox player, not a hitter. They suddenly found their form with the bat, suddenly, and the, the obvious one to go for would be perhaps JD Martinez. My highlight and hero of the week, and also it's going to include something I learned, so this might go on a bit. So it's a three, three in one testimony. And I'm referring to um, starting pitcher Eduardo Jose Rodriguez Hernandez, or Erod, or just plain Eddie, to his fans. And I think it's a bit of a heartwarming story. He made his first start last Thursday in 587 days. He caught the dreaded COVID-19 virus, and not only that, he developed uh, complications, rather worrying complications, um, myocarditis, I think, which is inflammation of the heart muscle. So, you know, I think he was really concerned that, okay, well, you know, I'm fit enough and young enough to, to get through this, but am I going to come through this able to, you know, to go back to being a professional sportsman? And he, he was assured that he, he should be able to, but Nevertheless, it was the 29th of September 2019 when he last appeared on a big league mound. So, And then he was due to pitch the opening game, which is a big thing in baseball. I think he was supposed to pitch the opening game in 2020. He couldn't make that. Lo and behold, he developed uh, um, what was referred to as a, a dead arm, which is not as serious as it sounds. It's, I think it was inflammation of his left elbow. He um, he missed the opening day and was put on the day-to-day list. So, you know, extra pressure and nerves. But Game 7 at Baltimore, where actually I think he started his uh, career there. I'm not sure whether he played for them for the first, for the first team, but um, that's where he was drafted. And I think Boston came in for him in 2014. So he's been there for a good few years. When he made his first pitch, he actually received from his own dugout a standing ovation from the manager and the players. So it's a pretty big deal. And he proceeded to pitch five solid innings 
and he got the win um, as the Red Sox beat the Orioles uh, 7-3. And this is where I actually something learned comes in. In in the excitement of this important, successful comeback, I'd missed the fact that it was credited with a win. And I had thought it was a no-result game in terms of the winning pitcher, but um, I was definitely wrong there. He had, I knew he'd pitched the requisite complete five innings to qualify, but after five innings, the, the Red Sox were behind 3-2. I checked the box score today, and I should have realised, but yes, Boston were behind 3-2 after five. But being the away team, you know, probably should have realised this, and probably everyone listening knows the answer, but Boston bat first, of course, and they scored two runs in the sixth inning to lead 4-3, and it was only then that Rodriguez was officially taken out of the game and replaced. So I had a look at my uh, rule book, my 1993 rule book. I think it has been rewritten since then, but I think it's still... Yeah, so the rule book says you credit the scorer credits the starting pitcher with a game won only if he has pitched at least five complete innings and his team not only is in the lead when he is replaced, but remains in the lead for the remainder of the game. Great story for for Erod, for Eddie. You know, it's got really important. I mean, what must it have been like for the guy? No, that's certainly a very worthwhile... That's what you call a hero. Uh, that goes beyond just... Batting and pitches, that's real heroics that actually, you know, touch people's lives and stuff. And in that same game, I think, the Orioles outfielder, Trey Mancini as well, who missed last year a colon cancer. I think him and Rodriguez as well had a moment where they kind of, you know, kind of acknowledged each other's uh, incredible comebacks. That was a really fantastic piece there and a great way to wrap up that Heroes of the Week. Hello there, I'm the other Dave. And in the rare occasions... That the podcast just cannot hold the two of us, you may hear the guys refer to me as Cap. I'm a bit of a geek. I absolutely love anything really that you can come across a fandom. Uh, I'll be there with bells on. But I've got, you know, I was born and bred in Scotland and I've got really strong club and country affiliations and I've followed both across the globe. Uh, and whilst doing so, I've came across other teams that I've, I've really took a liking to. Uh, across various countries like Soviet Union, Berlin, Hamburg, Utrecht, Dordrecht, Villotoy, Sabdoria. Uh, but the, the next time that it, it really moved up a level was in the MLB and coming across the Chicago White Sox, who I follow absolutely everything to do with now on a daily basis, and it's, they've become a huge part of my life. So I love a blether, I love a chat, so please do get in touch. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, but if not, uh, I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. I've been so furious for the last few days that I'd like to kick off the the villains piece, if I may, if that's okay, guys, because my villain, if you can call it a villain, is the whole system of video replays in baseball. Because if you're going to take a wonderful sport, you're going to stop it, chop it up and go to New York for reviews, then they need to get it right with all the technology, with everything else that's going on. And I, and this time, in my opinion, there was a, a scandalous video replay decision uh, or lack of decision 
when you know Alec Bohm, I don't know if you saw guys yeah. saw the the Phillies versus Braves bit there where the replay officials ruled that he was safe, even though unless my old eyes have deceived me, he'd never touched the home plate before he got tagged. So we've we've seen others this season as well already. There was a one when the, the Mets beat the Marlins three two, where Michael Conforto got the benefit of the doubt that he was hit by a pitch where the bases were loaded when it looked pretty much to, to most baseball fans like he there leaned in somewhat to, to take that uh, physical hit and to get to walk in what was or to get the winning run walked in. So if you're going to have video replay, technology has to get it right. So keen to hear what you guys reckon, whether I'm just blowing off steam in typical fashion or whether there's something to be said for making video replay the Highland Bullpen Villain of the Week. What what I guess the question in terms of the video replay, they're, they're, to me, in a way, they're quite different instances because when the guy doesn't touch the home plate, that to me seems pretty obvious. That's like a handball decision going to VAR and the guy's not touched the ball with his hand. So I, I don't understand how that got through. The Conforto one, I think, is slightly harder because the guy was hit by a pitch. Um, it seems fairly obvious to me watching it that he made a deliberate movement to make sure that he was hit by pitch and hit hit by pitch in a nice soft part of the the, the upper arm, I think, wasn't it as well? So, yeah, it'll be sore, but it'll not be too sore. So I, I can almost understand why that decision is made. But having said that, I might be tempted to go for Conforto as a villain of the week for his dastardly behaviour in doing that rather than just going straight to VAR. Do they call it VAR? Probably not. You've set us up nicely for a piece later on in our, our Learning Zone feature. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the sneaky tricks that baseball players employ to get those tiny advantages that make all the difference. But Yorkshire Dave, I don't know, have you got a view on those incidents in particular or, or more in general about video replay being a, a net positive or a net negative for baseball? Yeah, I did see that incident. And, you know, my initial reaction is, yeah, you're supposed to try and get out of the way. I didn't, I, I'm not sure I would make him an out-and-out villain. You know, I think possibly he knew what he was doing, but you can sort of lean into a pitch and he probably thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get really hurt. I, what, what can go on in your mind during the point three of a second or whatever it takes for a, a pitch to get between the pitcher and... And you, but uh, yeah, you, you're meant to try and uh, avoid getting hit. The whole thing about the video replays, you know, I, I think it's a good thing to try and get things right, the same as in football. The thing that I don't particularly like about it is, and it's the same in football, like it used to be, you know, the, the offside rule, it used to be back in the day, if you were in line with the last defender, you were off. Right, and then they changed that to put it in the, the favour of if you're in line, you're onside, and that was to encourage, uh, you know, the attacking side of the game. And I think we've lost that, haven't we, with, with, with VAR? And I haven't heard anyone mention that. And this, it's kind of the same with baseball, this sort of bang-bang plays. Baseball is such a perfect game. There's a quote, isn't it, about, you know, 
perfection, 90 feet between bases in baseball is the nearest man has got to perfection because you look at the at how these plays are made, almost every one, the runner's running at full pelt, the fielder is, you know, absolutely at full stretch, makes the, makes the throw, and, you know, it, it's a bang-bang play. It's not absolutely clear, but there's, there's an umpire right there from memory. It's supposed to favour the runner. If, if you arrive there exactly the time that the the ball is caught, then, you know, you should be you should be safe. Well, that's fair enough. Dave Jr., what's your take on, on these events? It, it just, I'm really glad that Dave brought that up about, about the umpires. I'm actually really impressed by the, the standard of the um, umping. At times, and I, I know these guys are a lot closer to the action, but even just with a single, you know, maybe a ground out uh, to first base, the speed that that ball can travel and trying to you know, gauge when the ball has got into their possession versus when the you know the runner has managed to get into first base. Sometimes, I mean, that must be absolute millimetres. You know, the umpire seemed to make a really, really quick decision. I don't know if it's just through years and years of experience, but from what I've seen, and by most of the time, even to me, ninety percent would be fantastic. But these guys seem to get it. 999 times out of a thousand and even when they don't go to New York for a replay, very often the TV station will show their own replays and you can tell that, that the guys have got it right first time and I, I think they do a fantastic job it's it's a shame sometimes when it does go to New York and, and it really does hold up the game um, I've seen a few actually where the result has come back and I've just thought there's absolutely no conclusive proof to, to disagree with the, the original decision on field. No, absolutely. And of course, as you say, umpiring is a hard enough job with the, the speed of the ball, the speed of the players, everything you have to keep an eye on at the same time. But it's even harder when some of those players have a few sneaky tricks in their mitt, so to speak. So in the learning zone this week, I wanted to talk about framing. And first of all, Bullpen Bros, who here has heard of framing. Baseball and snooker. Ah, well, excellent, excellent. I'm not sure they're exactly the same, but no, excellent. Well, I, I will be the first to admit that I didn't know much about it then until a few days ago when I was listening to a radio commentary, which is a separate topic about how nice a way that is to, to keep in touch with baseball as well. But it referred to framing, and of course, for those that know, framing is the art of a catcher receiving a pitch and instantly manoeuvring his mitt somewhat closer to the strike zone. So if it's a pitch that's probably actually missed by an inch or so, the catcher will very quickly like adjust his mitt to give the impression that he's actually taking the ball an inch or two the other way and effectively turning a ball into a strike. And from a, a little bit of research, I discovered that this can actually save up to about, I think they, they can make a difference of 40 runs over the course of a season. An expert catcher who's great at framing could save his team's 40 runs over the course of a 162-game season. So, yeah, Dave Jr., what do you make of this? Is this just brilliant, brilliant technique or sneaky underhand antics? I think you've got to... It depends which team you're rooting for at the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bottom really line to this. Yes. 
I, I mean, I, w- I would even go one step further when you say that they move their glove after the ball's been caught. After I first heard about the term and you do, you know, you watch for it, very often they're starting to already move their glove back before the ball touches the glove, if that makes sense. So those absolute millimetres, they're already starting to, you know, the glove has moved out potentially an inch or two. And it's just, you know, you can imagine the umpire's eye is completely on the plate, on the ball, on the glove, trying to take all three of those components uh, in at the one time. And as the glove just moves in a, a fraction, the ball very often just makes its way into the very edge of the, the catcher's glove. Um, and again, it just, it, it makes it, uh, I, I, again, I've, I've just spoken about the, the umpires doing a great job. The catchers, how they can, I, I know they should know which pitch is coming, but it doesn't necessarily mean the pitcher is putting it where they have indicated. <laughs> they hope to. Um, but, but the job they do to very often smother the ball or um, react it's pretty incredible as well, all whilst on the hunches. If you try crouching for a few hours, your knees are going to be completely destroyed. So I, I'm going to allow the catchers this little sneaky trick, Richard, because they, they must put their knees through some hell, some absolute hell. Oh, that's a, that's a great point. And I've long believed that catchers are the most thankless and most complex task in baseball as well, which you don't just have to catch the thing, but you're ultimately helping to decide, strategize what pitches the pitcher should be coming with and all the rest of it. And as you say, the knees must be just absolutely short. Yorkshire, Dave, then, obviously the Red Sox have had some good catchers over the years. What do you make of it then? Is it just another, uh, as Dave Jr. says, just we're, we're giving them one little thing because so much is stacked against them normally? Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, there's an art to it. it yeah, the, the catchers do, they should know what pitch is coming because they're nine times out of ten they call in the game, aren't they? <laughs> it's tempting to let them off. You can see them do it. I mean, the umpires are no mugs, aren't they? And Dave's absolutely right. I think they're the coolest arbitrators in any sport, aren't they? You know, and let's, you would not mess with a home plate umpire, would you? I mean, they'll stare off the toughest-looking baseball player and I think there's a bit of respect, more than just respect between catchers and umpires, because they quite often get in hit in uh, various parts of the body, but so quite often in very painful parts of the, the body. And you see them helping each other out, like the catcher gets hit and is obviously hurt. The umpire will just walk off and pretend he's dusting down home plate for a bit to let him recover. Uh, yeah, and likewise, so I think there's a bit of respect. The umpires know it's going on, don't they? But I think they do get away with a with a fair bit crap joke coming up. But I think we were we watching the, the Royals. Uh, were they playing the Red uh, the White Sox earlier this week? And I did notice that uh, their pitcher Kyle Zimmer was uh, was pitching, and uh, they I was just wondered if the catcher framed one of his pitches would that be a Zimmer frame oh well well played sir well played I'll get the coat I'm sorry I'm sorry thanks for that uh, Yorkshire Dave and for the benefit of our American listeners as well the Zimmer frame 
is uh, generally the the UK and, and much of Europe's name for what you might know as a walking frame or a tri-walker or a rollator, but uh, the mobility aid generally used for elderly people are those face- facing some physical challenges. Yeah, yeah that, that's just another example of the Americans actually calling it by the right name, isn't it? A walking frame. There. And there is a bit of chat in baseball as to why... Should you? I mean, you you watch a game on TV, and they have the wee frame, the box on there, so you know if it's a strike or not. Why do we then have that down to human error for somebody actually making that decision when some wee dude in the TV can work that out? There's a Twitter site I think called Umpire Scorecards, and you can actually go on, and somebody is reviewing the decisions that the umpire has made on a daily basis. So, yeah, if um, Willie Collum and Kenny Hope and all these guys, they need to be thought of thinking about how the, the Scottish football world will be measuring every decision they make. Can you imagine Twitter with somebody like that, a Scottish football referee, uh, somebody then analysing their performance? The, the punters would be analysing the analysis. It would just be <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> very, very true, Alan, very true. I'm a fan of a little bit of human error. I, I like the human interaction and the whole thing. So uh, I, I I do subscribe to the theory if it evens itself out. So no, I like a wee bit of human error. We just we're just not accustomed to it here. Yeah, and, obviously, well, and of course we're not accustomed to it in the Highland bullpen. Obviously, you're Alan. We were completely strangers no. to to any kind of human error. <laughs> now then. You'll hear me referred to affectionately, no doubt, as Yorkshire Dave, and as such I am honoured to be part of the Highland Bullpen. I qualify by virtue of 37 years residency in Scotland, split between those two fine cities of Edinburgh and Glasgow. I grew up in Leeds, so predictably my allegiances are Leeds United, Leeds Rhinos and Yorkshire County Cricket Club. My Scottish team of choice is Hibernian FC, and in baseball, it's the Boston Red Sox, who I first saw in 1993 at Fenway, and again at MLB London twice in 2019 with the rest of the Highland bullpen. Still haven't actually seen them win a game. Some say I should go more often. I'll see they. One thing I knew a little bit about uh, is like saves and holds for pitchers. But I have been studying it a little bit more and because I know you'll ask me about it in a few minutes because it's one of the categories in the fantasy league scoring. Yeah, I understand it. We've probably loaded our Highland bullpen team with a lot of starting pitchers, but I don't think we've gone in and got closers uh, who potentially will be getting the save or the hold, uh, which I think is something that we maybe need to have a... We, we think about... You've got to be in a save situation, haven't you, which is uh, leading the game by, is it no more than three runs? You know, you can't put a guy in if you're sort of nine, ten runs ahead and getting to pitch the last inning and he's going to pick up the save. I thought there was a guy, you know, when they get into a rundown, when the runner is sort of in between bases, this was a guy who was setting off to... First, um, I think it was first, and he, yeah, he tried to evade the uh, tag. I thought it successfully done that, 
and then uh, reached first base, but it was given out because he'd run outside the baseline. I suppose you can't allow them to just evade the by they've been running all, all around the park and the game would go on forever, wouldn't it? I think both feet had to be outside the baseline. I think usually, you know, that's quite clear where where that is. So yeah. um, I love the idea about there potentially being no rules and it can be like a Benny Hill sketch where he runs into the stands, comes back with a hot dog, and next thing you know there's a French maid chasing him, proper Benny Hill stuff. Mine is very, very simple this week, a bit like myself. Uh, I really think that something that I've learned, you've got fans. You've got fans in the stand. And, uh, you know, I think this might lead to a segue to, to the next little comment about uh, an interaction this week. But um, see the joy in people's faces catching a foul ball in the last seven to ten days. People just so excited in the stands, uh, seeing players react. To, to fans, seeing fans react to players. It, it just shows you know, it was great to have baseball last year, but having fans there, having those cheers, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. When when Lance Lynn again had his his real first he's kind of debut for, for the White Sox this week, the way the crowd was just building that momentum towards the end of the game as they could see him complete that shutout. Uh, that was that was fantastic, and again, just I, I know I've said it before, but watching fans, the absolute joy on their face to catch a fly ball, or someone's caught a ball in the outfield and they toss it into a kid just by the side. I think it's it's a reminder that baseball is fun. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about earlier on, and we could do very briefly, is uh, to to give a shout a shout out to Mike Trout. How's that for a well deserved rhyme uh, after having very kindly. Donating his gloves. Is that true to Richard? Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, to him donating his gloves to that young kid, to the young Angels fan. So for our villain of the week, we're going to go for the, the video refereeing from New York because their failure to pick up the not hitting the plate, I think that outweighs any dubiety over the Conforto hit by pitch. Yep. And our hero of the week, are we actually going for Mike Trout and giving it to the, the, the Angels Angels for two weeks in a row? No, it's been a well-deserved one. And also a great talking point for listeners. Who's your, who are your heroes? Or who, who are your villains? Who have we missed out and who deserves a shout-out? So please do get in touch via social media channels. And on that subject of interacting with our listeners, uh, who very often know more than us, we did a fantastic quiz segment last week in which Yorkshire Dave got a bit creative. He managed to find ways to tie in great baseball trivia with some computer-related stuff. So, Yorkshire Dave, can you put us out of our, our collective suspense and let us know what the answers were? Yeah, I don't know how enjoyable it was. And it's, it's not computers, as those who worked with me will testify to, is not uh, my strongest point. But, um, yeah, the the first one was a fairly straightforward question in which key on a standard UK keyboard shares its name with a defensive strategy in, in baseball. And it's it's all the rage now. I don't think it's absolutely new, but it's the shift. Ah, gotcha. Nice one. Nice one. Quite a kind of popular now defensive system, Yorkshire Dave. Where would that be used then? Yeah, I think that, you know, they must have stats on where batters are, are hitting the ball, especially against left or right-handed 
pitchers, you know, instead of having basically you got four infields, haven't you? You three bases, usually the first baseman just near the first base and <laughs> you can see where this is going, second base, third base. And the shortstop is usually somewhere in between the second and third base. So on the shift, they think, well, this guy normally pulls the ball or hits it the other way. If we throw sort of a ground ball down and away, then he's only going to be able to hit it the other way. So we'll shift the um, infield over to the right side of the field. So I think the sort of definition is if you've got basically three guys between first and second base or three guys between second and third base, then the shift is on and the shortstop will, you know, probably cover second base or something something like that. It has been used in the past. I've heard, you know, I haven't mentioned Ted Williams for a long time, but I'm sure <laughs> A, uh, a shift in the outfield for him as he favoured hitting it in a certain uh, direction. So I don't think it's totally new, but it's definitely uh, you know a thing in the last few years. No, that's fantastic. So there you go. Shift was the answer to question one and question two. Yeah, we've uh, we've mentioned it tonight, and um, the question was what single four-letter word is um, both uh, a credit to a pitcher under certain prescribed circumstances and the commonly used command option in Microsoft. And it's something you do with your documents whenever you make an alteration and it's a save. Nice one. That was one I did get. That was one I did get. So the last one is, can you give me a two-digit abbreviation? For those of you, it's this podcast, but... The other three guys are giving me a two-digit abbreviation right now. I can see them. It's a letter followed by a number, and this might be seen in a baseball card. I think it's an old-fashioned term denoting an out made by a left fielder. And it's also, <laughs> I believe, the spell check function in Microsoft Word. And um, for those uh, who like scoring baseball, this would be if you fly it out to left field. The left fielder is um, number seven, so it would be an F7. Oh, like it, like it, like it. Dave, just got to say, we've got to doff our caps lock to you. Well done there. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a home button, isn't it? I missed that one. There is a home button as well. I don't know what that, how that is. <laughs> Fantastic. And for, for this week, we've got some questions of a, a slightly different slant this week. And, and, and actually, a wee, change of, a wee change of Quizmaster as well. Alan, I believe you've got some questions for us this week. Thank you. Yes. So last week, we were delighted to issue one of our sporting podcasts, which was journalist Ewan McLean talking us around playing a round of golf at Augusta National, the, the venue of the, the Masters Golf. Unbeknownst to me, I found out two things about the Masters Golf related to baseball. I was reading the Masters Journal, and I discovered that there is a player who has played the Masters and also played in the World Series. So if our listeners are able to tell us who that is, would be absolutely fantastic. The chap actually played with Babe Ruth, I believe. Uh, so that'll give you an idea of the era. 
the great thing about this, I mean, playing playing in the World Series is a fantastic achievement. You then sort of think, is this one of those questions like name the celebrity chef who played for Rangers, which is Gordon Ramsay, who was always a decent footballer and once played uh, half a game of a friendly for Rangers against East Kilbride Thistle or whoever. Well played to him. He's well above our footballing skills. But this is a genuine question because this guy actually won PGA Tour events, played in the Masters several times, but also featured in the World Series. And in fact, I think 1,700 at-bat appearances. Wow. Not an insignificant achievement. So if if anybody knows his name, it would be interesting there. But what I'll give you is an easier question because this – there's a player who made the cut at the Masters this week whose father was part of the Baltimore Orioles roster for a couple of seasons. He never actually made it to the majors, uh, but he played a number of games with the, the minors, the Bluefield Orioles and the Peninsula Pilots. For the bullpen as well, has a fantastic name. But which player who made the cut at the Masters' father was on the Baltimore Orioles roster? Fantastic. A couple of classic questions there, Alan. I know listeners will enjoy trying to puzzle those out. Uh, Shout out this week uh, also to the Erie Seawolves, who's a double-A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, They liked one of our tweets, so uh, we'll give that as half a point to the Tigers. Even better, I'll I'll need to read this, but the Seawolves play in the North East League's Southwest Division. But they cover all the bases, Alan, obviously. We'll wish them every success and we'll keep a close eye on their fortunes going forward. Hello, Highland Bullpen listeners. I'm Richard, known as Rico to my fellow bullpen bros. When it comes to baseball and soccer, my heart lies in the West Coast. Over in the States, the Seattle Mariners are my team. And back home in Glasgow, Scotland, my heart lies in the green half of the city with Celtic. I love other sports, primarily boxing and MMA. We've had a mixed week, it's fair to say, in the fantasy baseball world. I'm quite happy with what we uh, finished up with, actually, in the first week, which was was a 10-day or 11-day week. And, uh, yeah, to be fair to us, it was totally our first time. We've spoken about the fact that we were only picking players from our own four teams. But we haven't got a clue how it worked, did we? Even even till the day that the results were given for the first week. We only just really found out that, you know, although it's a matchup against one of the other teams in it, it's not like a win, lose or a draw. There's ten different categories, five categories in batting, five in pitching. So we came out on top in six of those categories against four in our opponents. So we we get six points, they get four. So I think that's pretty good, actually, because, you know, you could have a good week in several different areas. And if, you know, if you just lost 5-4 or 6-4 or, you know, something like that, you wouldn't like to sort of lose out on those points. So I think it's, you know, now that we understand it a bit more, I think it's pretty good. We've got those couple of areas where we've we've seen that, we don't have many pitchers who are getting into save situations. So, we, we, you know, we're vulnerable there. You might want to see about, do we have any other players who are good at 
stealing bases, you know, speedier players, something like that. I think we've got plenty of hits and strikeouts, didn't we, and home yeah. runs. So, well, yeah, I'm really pleased. It's, it's good fun, actually, isn't it? I think for for me it's been great as well because I'm learning about your three guys' teams. Uh, I'm learning a wee bit more about yes, it's a scoring for fantasy baseball, uh, but it's about how the, the important features of of baseball itself, which we sort of think we understand, but we then see this in, in reality as well. Uh, we, for whatever reason, started off fairly well and we're leading most of the way through until we had a bit of a disastrous pitching outing on the penultimate day, which put us into arrears going into the last day on the pitching count. So I had a quick look at it and thought, the only way we're going to win this is if we can turn the pitching around. Uh, so, of course, what we did was we went and won it by turning the batting around. The, the roster changes we made were successful, but, but not maybe quite the way I anticipated. So I'm going to award players of the week. And, and again, the fantasy stuff is fantastic because you can see your cumulative stats for every player you've had in, including players you've chosen to take off the roster. So I'm hoping that continues throughout the season so we can get a player of the season. The batter of the week, there's no argument there. He's already been mentioned tonight, and that is... Um, just Dingers Martinez, 10 mm -hmm. runs, five homers, and 16 RBI. Quite a considerable way above anyone else in our team. And we've dropped a couple of players in that part of the team today. The lower end of our order, shall we say, and uh, we've taken Grossman and Ramos back in. A couple of Tigers players. The pitching was a wee bit harder to identify a player of the week. I think maybe a couple of candidates here. Matt Boyd of the Tigers did well. He got a win. He got 10, 10 strikeouts. Ivaldi of Boston was just ahead of him. Ivaldi got one win, 11 strikes, and a 1.46 ERA. Whereas Giolito was one win, 18 strikes, so much better, but a 4.22 ERA. So that then comes down to a shout between Ivaldi and Giolito, whether one of them is our pitcher of the week. Yeah, I'm probably going to go for Giolito on the basis that we lost the ERA run, so I'm going to give him the, the nod. Lance Lynn almost picked up the villain of the week by he he stuffed us on the Saturday night when we really struggled. But um, fortunately, the boys came back on the Sunday and that, that turncoat Lynn, we didn't really worry too much about his renegade appearance for angels over the pond so we're on to tea and tops this week so let's see how we do against them so the initial fantasy outing was against angels over the pond and tea and tops this week alan is that right yeah so it's a, a podcast that discuss um baseball cards so yep no i love baseball cards myself so we're definitely recommending them regardless of whether they win or whether we get the the victory in this next encounter. And not that we're competitive, but I must say, I think our inter-bullpen league has been lost a little bit of its luster for me, I must confess, this week. And purely coincidentally, my sinking Mariners have in fact sunk down from top spot. They've been overtaken by the the, the prediction-defying Roston Bed Sox. So, uh, Yorkshire Dave, you're, you've climbed atop the Highland Bullpen Bros League. Hi, I'm Alan, and I put the Highland in the Highland bullpen. 
I'm originally from Dingwall, where I was brought up watching Highland League football, supporting my local team, Ross County, who are now, of course, in the Scottish Premiership, along with my big team, Rangers. I love watching sport, and I love playing a bit of sport. I play golf and I cycle. I'll travel to watch sport when I can. I've got into American sport in the last few years, and I'm all in for Detroit. So it's lions and tigers and wings with a bit of pistons as well. Maybe wrap up by looking at our teams kind of weeks ahead, the week ahead, and see how we think we're going to do. Now, certainly the Mariners against the Orioles. I think the Mariners could potentially continue their good form, but then, then they entertain the Astros. And the Dodgers come to Seattle as well. So I think we need to rack up a few wins before those teams come to town. Alan, for yourself and, and your Detroit Tigers, you've also got the the Astros uh, and also the, the Oakland Athletics as well over the next week. Yeah, it's a West Coast road trip. It'd be nice to be out there and join the sunshine and what have you. Uh, great start against the Astros last night with Casey Mize. Boyd up tonight, so that's special for us as well because he's in our bullpen fantasy team. The Astros is a tough one. Uh, I would hope Oakland, we've got a good chance against Oakland. Fingers crossed the boys enjoy the West Coast sunshine. Absolutely. And Yorkshire, Dave, your your Boston boys are currently in action. They need to start finding their bats. They're a couple down to the Twins at the moment, but you've got the Twins and then... Drum roll, please. We have a fantastic series where the Boston Red Sox will take on the Chicago White Sox, pitting bullpen bro against bullpen bro in a Highland Civil War. So who's going to come out and top in that series, lads? That'll be great when that happens. It's, it's some re- really reasonable times uh, you know, for the four of us. Um, I know that Dave and I will definitely be watching, but if Alan and Richard want to kind of catch any action or... Or indeed, if uh, if any of the listeners can can tune in at all, um, I think the first game is you know the usual type of midnight one a.m. Um, but then I believe on Friday night about nine o'clock. But then they actually get earlier the remaining games uh, on Sunday. It's a six o'clock UK kickoff, and then Monday afternoon for some reason that must be a really interesting kickoff time. So that's ten past four our time. Mm. So, again, they're all very watchable games from our point of view. I'd, I'd be really happy to come away 2-2. I think, you know, the Red Sox are on a, on a real roll just now. Um, yeah, 2-2 wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst thing. And I just thought I would mention coming up, we'll probably talk about it um, next week, but the 15th of April is a big day in the uh, MLB car- calendar, isn't it? It's the Jackie Robinson day and I think you've seen me wearing a couple of Red Sox uh, t-shirts um, recently well Lorraine was going to wait until Thursday to to give me the third one that she she bought me and it's actually very similar to that one but it's got number 42 on the back which of course is uh, Jackie Robinson's old number and was retired by all baseball clubs 